know I worked with Tony Robbins. You know, I showed up to Tony Robbins' doorstep in 1995. And I had no job, no money, and no car. And I was, I broke every single record for Tony, every income record, every sales record, um, you know, all those different types of things. And I trained over 3,000 companies. I moved 25 times in five years. I, you know, so many wow. different types of things. So, In today's episode, I interview Brett Figueroa. Brett Figueroa has been a peak performance coach for over 20 years. He's trained thousands of sales professionals, leading many of them to the top 1% of their industry, delivered over 3,000 presentations nationwide and abroad. And with Brett's training, many of the companies earn millions more in additional revenue. So Brett has a proven track record. As you will hear in his story, he broke sales and income records at Tony Robbins companies after coming there, uh, pretty much broke with $50 in his pocket, uh, taking Greyhound bus to get there. And he had some ups and downs working for Tony Robbins and eventually went out and started his own coaching business, which has been going strong for more than 20 years now. It's a great story. He's got some great lessons about performance, results, mindset, listening. Uh, we talked a little bit about body language and influence, including influencing yourself, the most important influence. And one of the interesting things that he shared with me is he stopped using workbooks in his seminars and training over 20 years ago. We'll talk about uh, a little bit about that and why he chose to do that. With that, I hope you enjoy the episode with Mr. Brett Figueroa. You and I have known each other for a long time now. I, I want to say over 20 years. Uh, it may be over 25 years, but for those of the folks wow. out there who do it's, not it's know. It's been that long. I just, um, I'm not sure if I have it handy here, but that book that I was, oh, here it is. This workbook ah yeah oh my god so, so after we talked the other day i was flipping yes. through the workbook yes, yes and there's yes. a date on here because you had you had a few exercises that you wanted us to yes. do yes and i signed this this is oh the, deci gosh. the decisions page your decisions paint a portrait of who you are and you wanted us to write down some decisions and sign it and date it june yes. 17th wow. 2000. I remember actually creating that edge. book in San Diego. Yep. I was getting ready to come to New York to do, um, or no, that, no, actually, okay. Momentum so that Technologies book, of San Diego. Yeah, San Diego. Yep, created yep. that book in San Diego. And I want to believe that that book was actually created for my very first event, which would have been in Fort Lauderdale. Yes. Is that, is that That's correct? correct? That's correct. And yes, it was I was group. in Fort Lauderdale. I remember that event like yesterday. I remember going for a run that morning and getting preparing for the event for that evening. And it was my first event. And I, I, I will say that that event was a very, very interesting event for me. And the reason that event was so interesting for me is because, and we'll talk about, you know, my journey with Tony Robbins and all that kind of stuff, you know, and, but I, but I, I, I wasn't sure who I was because I had been, I had been through my life spring training. So I had this level of teaching. I'd been with Tony Robbins. So I had this level of teaching. And if you remember, we had dancers on stage. We had, you know, all different types of things. Uh, and I remember finally doing an event and, and we, I don't actually think that we actually got 
to doing that workbook until many hours into the event. And so I remember being in King of Prussia and we had uh, Bob Safford and his family at my event. The referral king. Now, Bob Safford is what worth or was worth 150 million. Probably. Whatever it was. Beautiful family. Great. And I remember the event uh, went until around six o'clock or whatever it was a Friday. It was at that time I was just doing a one day event. And I just remember at the about hours in, I took that workbook that you have right now. I threw it to the back of the room. I said, I'm never going to use a workbook again. <laughs> really? It Interesting. It wasn't any point because one of, one of the things I found out about the workbook, it seemed to be kind of a dot to dot and life isn't a dot to dot. So that, that reminds me of something you said at the very beginning of the event that was very different from most of the events that I went to. At the very beginning of the event, you said, I'm going to ask you guys to not record because I want you oh, to be fully present. Yes. And I had, I yes. had a recorder with me. I was a yes. meticulous note taker and I used to record stuff and yes. I would actually listen to it like in the car. Right. After, you know, after the fact to reinforce yeah. things. Yeah. Tell me what, what was it that I, I know you said, just, cause I want you to be more engaged, but what well, was it's, it? It's really, it's really interesting that you actually remember that, that aspect because that is still a very important aspect because, because many times people want to take notes. You know, they want to write it down. Like, I, I got to write it down and I got to remember it. And so people would come into the event and we would have them, you know, leave all their stuff outside the door. Their bags and their recorders and, you know, there was no food, no drinks. Like, everything was to be left out. And so people go, yeah, Brett, but, but I need to write this down. I'm going, all right, got you, got you. Makes sense. So I use the example that, you know, when we get on an airplane and we get on an airplane and we sit in our, our chair, our, our seat, and we sit there and we kibitz with the, you know, person next to us. And, you know, we grab the, uh, the magazine in front of us and we start flipping through pages and, and, you know, all, all the while that we're doing that, there's somebody that's in front of us giving us life-saving ideas, tips, you know, instructions that if there's an emergency, here's what you need to do. And we're now, because we've heard it so many times, we don't listen to it. We still talk to our neighbor. We look out the window. We're reading the magazine. And they're sitting there going, you know, to the right and to the left and, you know, this whole thing. So I say, you know, it's a really interesting metaphor to life because I say, you know, we've heard it so many times. So, you know, the run, the air, the, uh, the, the airplane starts to taxi down, you know, boom, lifts off into the sky. And as it does, you know, we finally get clearance that we can, you know, tilt our seats back, you know, and we kind of just sit back in our seat. We look out the window, you know, life is awesome. And, you know, look at the, this and that. But then all of a sudden, bam. There's an explosion in the right-hand side of the plane. Plane tilts, boom. Captain comes on. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, we've uh, just lost the right engine. Here's what you need to do. So from that point forward, there's no one sitting there taking notes. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, there's no one saying, um, excuse me, Captain, can, can you repeat that, please? Because we're listening as if our life depended on it. We're listening on the yeah. edge of our seat. And so what I call that is being a very committed listener. And so there's a committed listener and a committed speaker. And so for most, they're not speaking from their commitment. They're just speaking. They're not listening from their commitment. They're just listening. And that's why when Bob comes up and goes, yeah, my name is Bob. Two minutes later, we, you know, on our way out, we go, excuse me, what was your name again? Because yeah. <laughs> we weren't listening out of our commitment. We were just listening. But when we're committed to listening, it's a different level of listening. That's that's actually one of the reasons I have a stack of blank cards whose sole purpose, I'm a super curious person by nature. And one of my biggest opportunities for improvement in my own communication is listening better and not interrupting. That's what this helps me with. Instead of interrupting, I try to remember, just write it down and come back once they're done talking instead of interrupting which is a usually a kind of uh, just it's you know it's it's interesting that you just mentioned that john and the reason i say that is so i'm on the phone with my foster sister the other night and we spoke for two hours and 58 minutes and yeah so we had this amazing conversation i she found me after 50 years 50 years five oh 50. Five zero. My foster sister. Wow. And I, I got reintroduced to my, I was in a foster home from age three to six. My foster mom, Beverly, is now 88. My foster sister, Kathy, is 59. I have a foster brother, Patrick, and a foster brother, Michael. And they all took me in when I was three years old. And before that, I was in this orphanage. So you go into an orphanage when the state comes in and they take you out. They don't know where you're. they're going to place you. So they stick you basically in a room full of, you know, kids and you know beds and stuff and so the other night i'm on the phone i'm on the phone with kathy and kathy's going on and on about something of something and i felt so proud of myself and it really i just felt so proud i said brett even though i might have not agreed with i might have not concurred with i said dude just shut up bro just listen and like how does and how can that be applied to my life. And so I've learned how to do that. So it's interesting that you mentioned that because that's such an important aspect because in my early days, I'd want to cut someone right off in their tracks, you know, like, Oh, I got the answers. And then I've learned, I've learned how to just listen and go, Hmm, how, how can that be applicable into some area of my life, health, fitness, finance, and I learned that through my coach, Dan Lear. Do you know Dan? I do not. You do not. Yeah. So Dan, no. Dan and I have been together for now 27, 28 years. So Dan would give me an idea. And so because of my early years and my righteousness and I got the answer, like I learned how to just listen with Dan. Like, Brett, just stop. And how can I use that in some aspect of my fitness, finance, relationship, whatever that might be? Do you, one of the things I found super helpful from uh, my own awareness is watching and listening to myself back. I put out 
videos, whether right. it's yes. social media yes. or whatever it is. Yeah, great. Yep. And that's where I've caught a few habits that were were not super, making me super effective. And yeah. you mentioned two two reasons that I yep. used to interrupt even more. One was the because I wanted to tell, and I didn't even realize I was doing it. Right, right. right. And it it comes from a good place. I, you know, I yeah, think I have of some, course, some of course it does experience, and and you know, if I can help somebody avoid a mistake by sharing something with them. But then the other one was just genuine curiosity, which is it's a double edged sword, right? It's a a great thing to have because it makes us much more able to have conversations with people right. and take them wherever they go. Right. But for me, I realized I'm so curious that that, that tendency to interrupt was a, an issue. Um, yeah. so you mentioned a bunch of things in there that, that I, I wanted to touch on, but one, um, and this may be totally irrelevant, but I'll ask the question and we'll find out yeah. what is that beautiful ring that you've got on your right hand there? This ring is a, Ring that a client bought for me, and it's a sales training ring. Okay. So, and lots of people, when I go out, it says a world world champion, and then it's got this whole Brett Figueroa sales trainer. And so, uh, but it's but it's fun when I wear it out in public because. I, I didn't play any sports and, you know, people look at the ring and they go, Oh, he's, that looks like it's a Super Bowl ring. <laughs> so yeah. I, I just like, I usually, you know, just grab my phone out of my back pocket and pretend I'm talking to my agent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It caught my like, eye. Is I love Super Bowl ring? You say, Hold on. I'm on the phone right now. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this little, this little old thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, is this, yeah. I, is this Peyton Manning? <laughs> awesome. So, so how, all right. Th there's some of the questions I'm going to ask and yeah, I'll yeah. just let you, the audience know right off the bat. I am yeah. a huge Brett fan. So if I sound like a fanboy with some of my questions, forgive <laughs> me, I am. Thank um, you. Thank you. But how awesome do you have to be at something for a client to give you a ring like that? That that was a rhetorical question, but well, just think about that for those of you watching and listening to this. Like, how much of an impact you have to make? Okay, well, well I I didn't know that question was coming, but how how you know how do you need to do that? So I wrote a book, and it's endorsed by Tony Robbins. And so, you know, how awesome. I kind of take that, you know, and I, I gently thank you for that. So this guy that wrote the forward to my book, his name is Philip. Now, Philip is in mortgage business. And when I took Philip on, he had, he was doing eight to 10 deals a month. And he had 21 people that worked underneath him. So 21 loan officers that worked underneath him. Uh, he coached his kids basketball six nights a week. Uh, he had two other children. He's a very, very high octane golfer. Uh, he was married to his wife, Penny. And he had a lot of demands in his life. And so when I go into a call with Philip, Philip says uh, he's doing eight to 10 deals a month. And I said, well, Philip, let, let's just go to 30. Let's do 30 deals a month. And so Philip's first reaction was, dude, how? 
Like I got so many demands, bro. I'm like really kind of sort of maxed out. And I said, well, you, you might be stressed out, but I really truly don't believe you're maxed out. And so the question that I asked Philip was, I said, who said you, could, you can't have it all? Like who said you can't do more business and have a, an amazing marriage and yada, yada, yada. So it was this whole thing of who said you can't have it all. And that was the question that stuck with Philip. Like, dude, he's right. Who said I can't have it all? So long story short, Philip's doing eight to 10 deals when I first call him. Our very next month, he does 30 deals. So we didn't have like some ramp up, like, oh, let's, you know, let's build up from eight to 10 to 12 to 15 to 17. Like we just went boom, right from eight to 10 to 30. Well, he not only did it the next month, but he did it for the next seven out of 11 months. And then he started a franchise or it was yeah, a mortgage franchise. Now that franchise at that time was doing 13 billion in business. So Philip's oh, office was number 720. In four months, we cracked the top 10 offices. Wow. So the owner calls me up and he's like, honestly, bro, how the heck did you get Philip into the top 10 in four months? We've got guys still in training. And he's already in the top 10. He said, how'd you do that? And I just, you know, I don't like to overstate things, but I said, ah, because I'm really good. (laughs) You know, he goes, well, we're doing this big event. We're going to be in Dallas. We'll have thousands of agents. Can you come and, um, you know, talk to our agents for us? So I've just been fortunate because I've been doing the work in which I do as a personal trainer, as you know, and coach and guy for 27 years now so i you know you you know i worked with tony robbins and i was i broke every single record for tony every income record every sales record um you know all those different types of things so you know i take it lightly but i just have fun but i'm all about like how do you you know how do you really really produce results how do you get how do you get people out of their own thinking that says oh i'm maxed out at 8 i'm maxed out at 10 like no dude let, let's 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 take it to a new level and so that's what i've been doing now for you know i trained over 3000 companies i moved 25 times in 5 years I, you know so many wow. different types of things so i've just been blessed to work with some you know, cool people along the years that, you know, buy me rings and stuff. <laughs> I, I thought I moved a lot being a military brat. I was somewhere, somewhere in the 20s. I'm, I'm close to that. But for someone who didn't do that because of being a military brat or in the military themselves, that's a lot of moving. So you, well, you know, I showed up, you know, just to kind of go back, just to give you some be- kind of a little bit of back, you know, drop stories that, you know, I showed up to Tony Robbins doorstep in 1995. And I had no job, no money, and no car. And I was a misfit. And, but, you know, one of the things that I've studied and read over the years is that when, when, when you're not making money and you're not being successful, then you've got to go and hang out with people that are. Right. So, so my, my journey of, you know, just going back was I boarded a Greyhound bus at 19 years old with 50 borrowed dollars. I was doing drugs. I was drinking like a fish. I was, you know, so many different things. But I knew that if I stayed in that, you know, level of environment, I would probably end up dying, which many of my friends back home are now dead because they never got out of that. So I started with Tony in 1995 
in the boiler room of his company making $7.50 an hour. And one of the fun parts about it is that, and they thought I sucked. <laughs> they thought it was terrible. And so, you know, I always, I always mention to people, I say, you know, when you're poor, you've got to hang out with rich people. It's because you can't be poor and hang out with other poor people because then you're kind of screwed. It's like, you got money? No. You got money? No. Like, no one has money. So my friend that I'm living with at the time when I'm working with uh, Tony, his name is Baron O'Brien. And so I'm living with Baron. Baron is dropping me off out of his limousine in downtown San Diego. And I'm in a suit, I'm in a tie, and I'm getting out of a limo to go onto a bus stop. <laughs> and the, and the, the, like, you know, like you can't make that stuff up. That's like just wild, fun stuff, you know? So I'm doing this thing with this company called Keller Williams, and it turned out to be a great uh, meeting. Uh, at that time, which was probably six, eight months ago, they did 1.8 billion uh, between their two offices, 513 agents, and uh, paid out 46 million in commission. So this video that I did, my client showed up and she sat front row and she, she, she recorded my speech. And so that speech went up on the internet. And so Baron's watching my stuff and he goes, you were talking about the guy in the limo you know, and I, said, I knew when you were sharing that, that was me. And I was like, I didn't actually know that you watched my stuff. And he's like, dude, I'm one of your biggest fans, bro. He's one of those, he's one of those, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that sit sidelines, you know, and they watch your stuff, yeah. but they don't comment. They don't like, they don't love. They just, you know, they watch it from, a, from afar. Yeah. I think I do that with most of the stuff that I watch. I don't really leave a lot of comments if if anything, I would say that about you I would say that too yep what what I, my my move would would more be to reach out to connect with the person either LinkedIn or Facebook usually LinkedIn if it, if I don't really know them yeah yeah um, yeah and then in, maybe engage in a conversation there sure you, you you said something that reminded you were talking about Johnny Carson earlier when Johnny you said Carson, wild, love Johnny Carson. Yes. Big when you Johnny said Carson wild, fan. fun stuff, I so wanted to channel Ed McMahon going, that is some wild, fun stuff. <laughs> My terrible Ed McMahon impression. <laughs> that is great. That is I remember going stuff. to John, I remember going to Ed McMahon's home in Beverly Hills. Now, they didn't let me into the home, so I just had to drive past it. So I was like, but I, I was like, it was behind gates and it was in Beverly Hills and it's, Ed McMahon's home and I was like I was like that's Ed McMahon's home but I, I did actually see Johnny Carson live in um, a couple different places actually I, I saw him live at dinner uh, at a place called um, oh my gosh uh, oh I forget the name of the place um, but I, I was young I was in awe I didn't go up and you know, make any noise, but I was like, oh, that's Johnny Carson. But I actually did see him live at his studio in, in Burbank, which that's was a lot of fun. That's cool. a great study for me. I study, I'm a big student of, I, I just, I believe that, you know, you study certain talent to, I watch a lot of body language, uh, communication. Uh -huh. I watch for congruency. I watch for incongruency. 
I love to watch interviews because I like to see where somebody may be being deceptive in their response, oh, whether they're congruent in the response. Like there's so many things that I like to study in interviews. Uh, cool. And that's why I like to watch uh, guest talk shows because they're usually doing interviews. So I, I need to turn you on to, if you are not already familiar with these guys, um, are you familiar with a YouTube channel called the Behavior Panel? The Behavior Panel, I am not. Can you send me that detail? I would like to I see will, more of that. Yeah, I'll send you the information. It's four body language experts who Dr. Phil has said are the best in the world at what they do. Mm. Um, I, I went to a training of theirs a month or so ago. I, I just had one of them on the podcast. Um, when it comes to the body language part of it, they are par excellence. They are the, the go-to um, go-to guys out there. Um, so, I'm a big body language guy. Yeah. And here's what I find interesting is yeah. in all of the communication, education, and training materials that I've looked at, yeah. they all hint at the same thing that that the words are the smallest part of our communication, right? That all the nonverbals are actually a bigger aspect of our communication. They say that, and then they focus almost exclusively on the words and the verbal. They, they spend very little time on the body language. So when I came across these guys, I thought, yes. I've been doing that myself. <clears throat> like my yeah. whole career, I've yeah. been aware at a cognitive level of the importance yeah. of the nonverbals but I have not pursued a lot of study or, or anything else to try to get better at that aspect. So when I stumbled across these guys, I just, I was all about it. It's, it's interesting you say that. And it's fun that you say that. I'm really glad you brought that topic up because a lot of sales training companies teach you um, what to say. They yeah. teach you what to say. And so I, I've got to remind people as a sales trainer that's, you know, been doing this for 27 years and trained 3,000 companies and yada, 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 that people forget what you say, but they don't forget how you say it. Because I've had people come up to me and they go, wow, wow, that was amazing what you said. That was amazing what you said. And I'm like, well, what did I say? I don't remember, but it was amazing. <laughs> like, they, don't, like, they, they don't remember what you said. So 93% of our communication has nothing to, I'm sorry, 93% of communication is, 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 the, is the entire communication. So, you know, people ask me all the time and because a lot of people study the wrong stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, they don't, and they don't know what to study because there's so much noise in the marketplace, right? So someone's in business, selling insurance, uh, selling real estate, selling cars, whatever it is. And so a lot of the training platforms are, you know, here's, here's what to say and here's the close and, and here, here's out of this and out of that. And I'm like, dude, none of that even matters, bro. Like, so people ask me, like, what is the most important? Like, you know, if I die after this interview, which I don't have any plans, but I don't know the bigger <laughs> game, you know, but if I were to. And people say, well, Brett, what is the most important thing for me to get my life better? And it's the one word called influence. Ooh. And so influence, whether it be how to influence ourselves or influencing others. 
So a lot of people, you know, they study sales training or leadership or this or that, but influence is really the, the capital, the most important ingredient to really, whether it be in sales or moving people into action or moving ourselves, which is, you know, I always say, dude, if you can't get yourself to take action, it's hard to get other people to take action. For sure. And so we've got to learn how to influence ourselves first, which many times, you know, they say, what's the biggest sale of the day? That's the one when you get out of bed with yourself. <laughs> it's, yeah, that, it's me influencing me. <laughs> there was actually something at, at that training that I was talking about that I think kind of puts a point on this. Yep. Uh, one of the guys held up this package yep. and he said, this package right here is every script I have ever written that I give out to my sales training and the other people that pay thousands of dollars to go to my training and my coaching and all this. And he goes, if, if I was going to give this away, who would want it? Right. A bunch of hands went up and he says, I reward action. He gives it to one of them. And he goes, now I will tell you all those scripts are pretty much useless if you don't know how. Right. Right. Which right. I think everybody in the room was so excited. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to get this gold. These scripts. Yeah. If you know how to use them, they're gold. Uh, but it's kind of a package deal. Uh, yeah. I'd say, you know, people have asked me in business and sales, you know, you know what's your best clothes? I don't have a best clothes. <laughs> I don't. I don't. If I mean, to me, in sales and business, if I really feel like I've got to close, I didn't do my job right in the presentation. Mm. So, you know, if I feel like I've got to get to the end, so I like things that are more organic and natural, meaning that at the end, I did a really efficient job and they go, oh, this sounds awesome. What's next? Where do we go from here? What do we do now? Yeah. So they're, they're asking me what direction to go and I'm not having to go, well, Bob, Let's do this. Let's, uh, you know, the old Ben Franklin close, <laughs> you know, draw a line down the page and here's the pros and here's the cons and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, yeah. I feel that if, if, I, if I've got to get to a place where I've got to have these, quote, scripted closes, I'm out. Like it just gets too scripty, too salesy. Yep. It's, not, it's not my style by any stretch. So you've, you've alluded to some of the different things that you have done in coaching. But for, for everyone that has not experienced your training or your coaching, yeah. uh, give me a feel for what type of clients do you typically work with and what type of work are you typically doing with them? Because I think one of the challenges out there is there's so many people calling themselves coaches that it's caused a lot of confusion in the industry in general. As uh. for, what does that mean? Well, so I, I think it was last night I did a post. It might have been last night or night before, but I did a post on coaches. And the reason I did a post on coaches is because I believe that the time in which we're in right now, especially coming out of COVID and for many still wearing masks and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, I get it, you know. But, you know, people went through some very, very challenging and difficult times in their relationships, you know, drug abuse, domestic violence. Uh, you know, people had a hard time in their marriages, you know, uh, you, know it, it, you know, for one thing, and then all of a sudden you're quarantined in 24-7, you know. Yeah. So domestic violence was huge. 
It's like, you know, they couldn't even get along when one of them were going to work or both of them were leaving eight to 10 hours a day. And now they're on top of each other for 24 seven. So, you know, people went through some and still are, there's an enormous amount of repercussion uh, from that particular season of life. Right. So people need to have the, they need the right information. They need the right guidance. You know, they, 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 they can't, they can't get somebody. So I make, I kind of make fun of coaches and I do it softly and gently, but at the same time, like somebody said to me, they said, Brett, you seem, seem like you kind of have it out for coaches. And I said, eh. I said, so many people are, you know, that you can go to the holiday Inn, you know, pay a buck 49, you know, sit in a seat at the holiday Inn for two days, get a certificate called, you know, life coach. And now they're giving you life advice after two days and a buck 49. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm like, so I have a friend of mine, he flies big planes. He's 787s. And so nobody's going to get into his plane and go to some foreign destination with a two day badge that says pilot. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. You know? I mean, if it did, they're just like, they're all about death anyway. <laughs> like, you know, well, let me risk this one. So for me, I'm all about like anything. I'm not, you, you've got to have credentials. So I'm all about credentials. I'm like, I'm not going to listen to dude if you ain't got credentials. So for me, I'm all about, you know, so people know, they know the name Tony Robbins. They go, oh, Brett's, you know, 1995. It's now 2022, 3,000 trainings. Moved 25 times in five years, written three books, yada, yada. Like, you know, there's a certain level of credentials that I'm, I can come to the table with. And so people feel safe with that. You know, they don't have to question those credentials because they're solid credentials. So for me, I'm all about people getting the right information. Because you got the right person, but the right person getting the wrong person's information, well, that's a mismatch. Yeah. So, you know, what, what is it for me that's the, really the most important part? So there was, a, there was a time, which I've gotten gentler and nicer over my years, but over, well, sometimes. But there was a time where, I mean, I was just taking call after call after call for people wanting to do coaching with me, all these referrals and blah, 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 blah. And so I would say to people, my, my, my whole thing was, dude, I appreciate you calling but I'm not your coach. They go, what, what? And I go, yeah, dude, I appreciate calling, but I'm not your coach. Yeah, but I got money. I go, yeah, but you're an ass. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I, I, I don't care. And then they would hang up and be vicious and they go online and go, I just got off the phone with this guy, Brett Figaro, and he's such an ass. And he's this, and he's, you know, just tear me apart. So I just recognize it was really, really, and has been, so when I was younger, I didn't know what vetting was. Like I, that, I never heard the word vetting. And so when I, I had somebody, you know, I had to ask them, like, what, what is vetting? I don't, what the hell does that mean? Like, like what it was, I don't know what that means. And so what, what I've learned to do is I've learned to vet really, really powerfully and strong. So what people say to me is, they go, oh, Brett, you're a really great coach. I said, you know, I appreciate that. I said, but actually, I think I'm a better horse better. I said, because I can know how to coach all day long, but if I go betting on wrong horses, I'm going to be screwed. 
So I bet on the right horse. And so what I listen for is I listen for when I'm in conversation with that person is I listen for several elements of, because people go, oh, I need a coach. And I'm like, wow, that sounds quite needy. So so I'm not not into working with needy people. So somebody that's committed, that's a different story. So what I've learned to do through my years is I've just learned how to bet really, really, really good to make sure I'm betting on the right course. And then, because for me, I'm all about, you know, like how, how do I bet on, how do I get winning horses? Mm. You know, I don't want a bunch of losing horses. And so, you know, I'm, 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 I kind of use the other examples is I'm like, I'm like just a talent agent. And Mm. as a talent agent, let's say, you know, in Hollywood CAA, and, uh, or, you know, some of the other, I forgot the name of them, but big ones, big, you know, massive ones, mm-hmm. you know, so the talent scout sits behind their desk, some big agent, right? Some big agent. And they're sitting behind their big desk and, you know, they're, they press a button on the phone and, you know, the button reaches out to the assistant in the front office and it says, okay, send in the next one. And so the agent's sitting there and the door opens. Well, that agent is very, very talented. So they know right away, dud or stud. They know right away. They don't have to go, well, let's go get coffee and, you know, let's sit down and let's, no, they know right away as soon as they walk in, dud or stud. So they're watching, listening, paying attention for certain factors, Mm. mannerisms, you know, certain what, what have you, but they usually know as soon as that person walks in the door. So you, you hit on a couple of things that, that um, to me, they, they are part of your philosophy about how you operate your business and how you deal with people, right? You mentioned credentials. Um, yes, credentials. Got to have credentials yeah. if, you want me to, if you want me to listen. Otherwise, and, I'm out. And I'm, I, I, I'm of the same philosophy as you, but you also, you mentioned something sort of without saying it explicitly, which I think is a big factor, especially in the coaching industry. Yeah which is the experience. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah. Credentials yeah. alone. So you probably can't even read it because of the glare, but I, I did Tony's, uh, Tony Robbins coaching program. That's my okay. certificate from his coaching program. Nice. Hundred hour program, great program. Yeah. But I don't advertise myself as a coach. No. Um, because gotcha. for me, and this is totally, uh, there's lots of people that came out of that program. They started coaching right away. Yeah. For me personally, as an individual, yeah. I feel like I need more experience yeah. before I go out there and say, hey, this is the type of coaching I do and how I do yeah. it and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and when you talked about vetting, um, it made me think about, there are probably questions, that, I don't know if you have a checklist or if you just do it intuitively because you've been no, doing it No, it's intuitively. So I, don't, I yeah. don't have any certificates, first of all. I have no certificates. Okay. I think certificates are, you know, they're great. They're fine. They serve its purpose. And, you know, you walk into a doctor's office and they got all kinds of great certificates, right? So, uh, so you know, certificates in certain situations in life are very, very important. You know, I probably wouldn't want to see a doctor that didn't have any certificates. Personally. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, go ahead. So I'm curious, when you yeah. were working for Robbins, what it's intuitive, by, 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 by the way. It's just, if, uh, you know, I'm at a certain place in, 
in my in the work in which I've done to just to experience it's it's more just I go with gut intuition and instinct. And usually when I go against my gut intuition and instinct, when I go against it in my younger years, and you know, you want to help someone out, it's like, you know, it's like the gym guy that goes, you know, they're 400 pound person and and you know, it's like, hey, how do we get this person down to a you know a buck and a half in a week? You know, it's like, <laughs> so it's like you know, sometimes you just take a bet on certain things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anymore now, it's very in- intuitive. But right. but I, what I was going to say with that is that every single time, and I'm not I'm not being facetious. Uh, every single time I go against my grain, instinct, intuition, gut, I get I get beat on the back end. So because they don't it? do well, they don't do well. And then I can always look back and go, I knew it on call one. It's never yeah. called two or three or four. It's always called one, always 100% so, of the time. And I go against the grain of that, but I always knew on call one, they're going to be a risky one, but I'm going to take a bet on them. You know, it's like the horse with the, you know, the limp. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. it's a nice horse. And look at the beautiful horse. And, you know, let's bet on this one that it's going to win. So what, what was your gut telling you? You were working for Tony Robbins, who, who yep. was at that time already like the top guy in his field. You were yep. breaking records. You were crushing it with your own income, with what you were doing in his company. What was it in your gut that said, I'm going to go out there and strike out on, on my own? Well, because I, I had already I had already gone through you know, when you after you've moved 25 times and you've done 3000 trainings and, you know, you break every record for this guy, Tony Robbins, and you've just done certain things where you, and, and at that time uh, I had a, my son was two. So, you know, it was like, okay, it's time to get off the road. And we were in Fiji uh-huh. and at Tony's place and we take him into one of his berets and we say, you know, we're done. And it's been a great, great ride. And it's been fun, but you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you just kind of hit certain a, a certain place in your life where you go, okay, it's it's time to it's time to go do your own thing. But for yep. those watchers or listeners, you know, I I, I you know we, we kind of get to and we talk about the the you know the end result, right? All these different sales things, which I'm not overly comfortable with talking about. But again, you got to give credentials to those. But as also the guy that started at $7.50 an hour, the guy being dropped off out of a limousine, you know, to go to work in the boiler room of the company. Um, and I got to share this quick story because it's a really interesting story that when I went to work with Tony and, you know, we talked about these, you know, being dropped off out of a limo, seven fifty an hour, you know, being a telemarketer, they finally put me out on the road, which is what I really was, in t- which is what I wanted to do was to go out on the road and be a trainer. I'm not a corporate guy. I'm not an inside guy. Like, you know, the inside people would listen to me and go, gosh, dang it. He's loud. Yeah, your <laughs> you energy know? doesn't strike me as the inside, like no, in a no, cubicle. No, it, was, it was way too cumbersome. And, you know, they're like, well, let's put him out on the, on the, so they put me out on the street. So, so Tony's got a group called FSRs and FSR is basically his Navy SEAL, basically his Navy SEAL 16. Like they're the best of the best, the elite of the elite. They spend 48 weeks out of the year on the road uh, and they're doing, uh, you know, uh, two, two to three trainings a day, you know, usually wow. one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one in the evening. 
And they're just, that's what they do. And they go into companies and they train and then they sell tickets for Tony's upcoming event as he's coming into town, maybe four, five, six, eight weeks later. So they put me out and they brought me into the office, my sales manager. And she goes, and it's on a Friday. She goes, well, Brett, we've decided we're going to uh, send you out on the road with the guys. Now they only was were doing they only they only was doing that with me because they wanted to get me out of the corporate office. <laughs> I was just too loud. So like, let's just get him the hell out of here. If he does well on the street, great. If not, boom, he's out. So they send me. To, so I say to my sales manager, I said, "Well, well I, don't, I, I had a meeting in San Francisco. The meeting was um, called What a Racket. There was this racquetball club. It's called That's What a Racket. Cool. And so I go." And I say, I say to my sales manager, well, what do I say? I don't know. I don't know how I'm not, you know, you want me to do this thing. I don't know what to do and say. So she goes, well, well, just come from love. Well, that didn't work at all. So for those watchers or listeners, like, coming from love is great, you know, in your marriage or these other things, but there's certain things you've got to actually have some skills. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah, and so I go out there and I'm out there and I drive from San Diego to San Francisco, which is one hell of a drive. That's a long drive. Yeah. That was a long drive. And so I meet up with the rest of the guys that are all living together. Tony's FSR Navy SEAL guys. Uh, and I use that lightly, obviously, but it's just, you know, from a reference point. Good analogy. Yeah. And so um, two weeks later, they let me go. They bring me to the side. Tony's doing a big event. They bring me to the side in one of this in one of the other uh, adjacent rooms, and they said, "Brett, we really like you. You know, you're a good guy, but you're fired, dude. I've only been out here two weeks." <laughs> they said, "Yeah, but we've got someone else. They're better." And so they said, "Well, we're leaving San Francisco to go to Los Angeles." And they said, "You're welcome to go. Obviously, we can't tell you whether you can go to Los Angeles or not." but we're not going to give you a car. We're not going to give you housing. We're not going to give you appointments. We're not going to this and like a whole thing of boom. Cause you know, they're now firing is, me, letting me go. Just real quick for, for clarity. This is before you broke all the records, right? This was yes. Like yep. The, so, okay. so, yep. So this is all leading somewhere. I promise. <laughs> and so I, so I said, well, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to, I don't have a car. I don't know where the hell I'm going to live. I don't have any money. But I'm really committed to, to doing this craft. And so I get to Los Angeles. And I, I didn't have anywhere to live. So I called my friend. And he goes, well, he goes, I have a boat in this place called Marina Del Rey. Now, you probably know Marina Del Rey. And, you know, I remind people that there's these things called yachts. And those are big things. And then there's things called boats. It's uh, totally different. So I was not on a yacht. I'm on this little boat. I'm this big guy. You know, I'm sleeping at the front of this boat in this little tiny space. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to make it out here. I'm going to succeed. And all the other guys are living in beautiful apartments. They got these beautiful cars. You know, they're making money. They got appointments set for them. And I'm this misfit living on a boat with nothing more than drive and commitment. I'd wake up in the morning, I had nowhere to shower, so I would use the community shower. I would get showered, got on my suit and tie, the guys in the shower area, they're getting ready to head out on their boats and their yacht for the day. 
And I'm this guy putting on my suit, my tie back in the day when I had hair, I had a blow dryer and I'm blowing my hair back and doing all this stuff. And then I go, well, how the hell am I going to make appointments? Right? Because our job was to go in and run these appointments and then sell tickets for the Robbins event coming into town. So I'm like, how long am I? So I would then, I literally, I had a pocket full of dimes. I didn't have a cell phone. I had a pocket full of dimes. And back in the day when we had phone booths, right, with the big chain hanging down and big yellow pages and, you know, and I would use the yellow pages and call these appointments. So I'd set these appointments. Hi, my name is Brett Figueroa. I'm here in town. Uh, One of Tony Robbins' trainers were setting, we're doing these free customized, you know, trainings, yada, yada. And I'm like, I'd set these appointments. So I'm like, well, how how am I going to get to the appointments? So I was back on the bus. You know, back, right, you put get in the bus, you put in a quarter, it takes you pretty much anywhere in the world you pretty much want to go. And so, uh, so I started doing well. I started, I started to succeed. And, and then so we have dinner at this place called, we have, we have dinner at this place called the Magic Castle in Hollywood with Tony. And so he said, hey, Brett, you're, Hey, you did really well. Let's get you coming back. Come back on board. So he brings me back on board. And so now I'm with the guys, right? Traveling, got a car now, got a place to live. You know, life is good. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a thing by the name, there's a guy by the name of Jim Rohn. And he says, uh, he says, the day that turns it all around. So it's December, December 15th, 1996. And that was the day that turned it around for me. My guys were being diverted to go to Tony's house for a Christmas party. I, on the other hand, am being diverted back to the executive office in San Diego. And I didn't know why. And so when I got into, and you'll find this fun, is I go get into the office. Like, I didn't know why I was in, back in the sales manager's office. And so but when I walked in there, there were pink papers on the desk. Mm-hmm. And so she said, okay, Brett. And I sat down. She goes, we need to let you go today. Today's your last day. And so I sat there for just a half a moment. And I thought, one of two things, either step up or step aside. And stepping aside was not, that wasn't an option for me. And so I stood up and I said to my sales manager, Deb, I said, you can't fire me. I said, matter of fact, I'm not going. You'll need to call security. So I said, I said, well, I'm not going anywhere. I said, you can't fire me. I'm not going anywhere. That's bold, my friend. Yeah. And so it was out of that that ultimately turned everything around. Broke every record from that point forward. So it was, it was to me, it was, you know, it was, it was stepping up and rising rank. And so it just worked. So there's people that are out there where they, go, you know, might settle and just end and quit or whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm not signing the papers. I'm not leaving. And I don't, I don't think she'd ever had to deal with that before, my sales manager, because she wasn't looking for a debate, just a signature. Let's get him out the back door, quietly, be on his yeah. way. So it was that day that really turned it around for me. 
where I began to really, really look inside myself and said, Brett, who must you become as a man in order to, you know, become all you can be? So we ultimately broke all records, all income records. I took my income after that meeting. I started taking my income up to 3000 a check, 5000 a check, 7000 I got to a place of $10,000 a check. And I finally said, I said, now no. This is back in 1995, you said? That is, uh, this would have been 90, probably seven, because I started with Tony at 750 in 95. Okay, so, so are you accountants like out there? 97, 98, somewhere in that place. Are you accountants out there? Do the math real quick. That, that's good money today. That was a lot more. Well, it's funny because, yep, yeah, it's a lot. And so I, I took my income from making 10000 on one check to making over 100000 on the very next check. Holy cow. And so, yeah, so people that go and they do a YouTube search and Brett Figueroa, Tony Robbins, they'll see a video on YouTube or on my website. There's a, a video of Tony bringing me on stage and he's bringing me on stage because he wants me to train his company. And this was after I had already left, but he loved my story so much that he wanted me to share my story. And wow. so as he, as he just mentioned, as you just mentioned, he said, you know, Brett went from making 10,000 to a hundred thousand. He said in today's money. And again, this was back even 10, 12, 15 years ago. He goes, that in today's world would be about $250,000. So in today's world, like the com commission structures and all that kind of stuff. Right. So some of the things that I've noticed as you were describing some things is your approach is probably a big part of what's made you so successful. Your approach is very different from yeah, what a lot of the sort of yeah. cookie cutter coaches that they go and get a certification and they've got uh -huh. checklists and all this. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I have heard you say before that I think to the untrained eye or ear, someone might listen to and go, what? That, that doesn't sound right. Um, and it's just that simple statement that it doesn't matter what people want, right? We hear a lot of people out there, especially parents, my parents, would say, hey, you can do anything, get anything you want in this world. You just have to work hard. What do you mean when you say it, it doesn't matter what people want? So, all right, so let me, so what I mean by that is, is that lots of times somebody will come up and, you know, they'll have a, a list and they'll go, all right, coach, here's what I want. I want to lose weight. I want to quit smoking. I want to be a better person, a better dad. I want to this, this, and this. So they all have a whole laundry list of wants. So then I just take it and I turn it in and I throw it and I go, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, who cares? It's like, well, what do you mean who cares? You know, because we've been so trained and programmed, you know, you can have anything in life you want. You know, just know what you want and go after it. Like, that is the biggest crock of horse doo-doo I've ever heard. It's horrifying. It's terrifying. I'm not Santa Claus. <laughs> you know, I, I let people 
well, no, if you want to let one, let somebody know what you want, go, go sit on Santa's lap, you know, because at Christmas time, he's going to ask you, so what do you want, little child? <laughs> so, but as a coach, I really, truly, honestly don't care. And many times, just to create even a, a visual effect, I'll take their list, I'll pull out a lighter, and I'll light it, and the oh, whole wow. thing disintegrates on the floor, right, in ashes. Because the universe doesn't hand out a bunch of ones. It's not, you know, the universe doesn't, it just says it's not set up that way. You know, so people go, well, I want to lose weight. Yeah, but most people are fat. Yeah, I want a better marriage. Yeah, but most are divorced. Now I want to be rich, but most are broke. So if it was true that we get in life what we want, then people would have what they want. Right? So if I went to somebody and go, all right, I've got two hands. This one is a broke hand. This one's a rich hand. Go ahead. Choose which one. They're always going to choose the rich one. Right? Most people are going to go, well, I'm going to take the broke hand because, like, poverty is great. <laughs> so they're, they're going to opt in for the rich hand. And so, but then they don't understand because they're like, damn, why isn't things working? I, you know, I want to be rich and I want to have this and I want that, blah, 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 blah. But again, the universe doesn't hand out a bunch of wants. So they say, well, what do you mean by that? I say, well, what I mean is the universe doesn't hand out a bunch of wants. I say, here's what, what, here's what it does reward. So people ask me, I say, dude, I don't care what you want. The only thing I care is what are you committed to? Mm. What are you committed to? So I got this. I got this from having a client and going to the gym. And he's here in Colorado, and he says, "You know, I want to lose ten pounds." I said, "Sounds great. Let's go to the gym." Boom. So we go to the gym. We get there whatever time, six, seven o'clock. And we have this great workout. I say, you know, you know the drill. Tomorrow morning, boom, six o'clock, bam. Now, at the end, it was, you know, we'll see you tomorrow, right? Day three. Now, on day three, couldn't find hide nor hair of this person. Hmm. And so I call him up and he goes, after I couldn't find him for the first many hours, I said, well, I thought you said you wanted to lose 10 pounds. And he goes, I do want to lose 10 pounds. I want to lose 10 pounds super bad, bro. He says, but here's the deal. I'm just not committed to it. The Ooh. early mornings, the traffic, the this, the that. So I thought, oh, got you. Where I thought wanting and committing were the same thing. Yeah. That's I thought it was the same thing. And I got that it's not. Yeah. So <clears throat> what happens is what I do is I align with people based upon what their commitment is. So, you know, Bob's got to, or person's got to retract from, I want, I say, I know you want to do this, Bob. My question to you is, are you committed to it? Yeah, this really hits home with me. Thinking back many years ago, when I thought I wanted to get a PhD. And then I started doing a bunch of research and I talked to a few PhDs and realized, wow, this is a crap ton of work. It's a lot of, it's a huge investment of time, money, effort. And the more I researched it, I realized I want to be a PhD, but I'm not committed to doing what's required to get there. 
Right. Um, and I, I realized, hey, that's okay. Yeah. At least, at least I know. Yeah. I'm not committed to that. And let me not waste a lot of energy. Right. Pining over it. That it's it's okay to realize maybe that that's just not your path. I, I want to ask you about. Um, I know your dad. I know I've seen some of your posts on Facebook bragging about some of the incredible stuff that your kids are doing. Um, and I'm curious, what, what kind of tips could you give people who are parents? Some of the things that you may have done with your kids that maybe some other parents have not done, because as we've already heard, some, some of your philosophies and the way you work is unconventional compared to some some other folks. Yes, definitely. and I've seen your posts. I, I'll let you talk about what you want to talk about. But some of the stuff that that your kids are doing is like off the chart success. Yeah. So share, share if you will some of the things that you've done with them that you think have have sort of enabled them to have that type of success. Uh, thanks for the question on that and. So, you know, I alluded to, I boarded a Greyhound bus with 50 borrowed dollars when I was 19 years old. Drugs, alcohol, no college, none of that. And, but it was very important for me as raising children. It was very important that they didn't have that same life. And so... <laughs> So, you know, people, people many times will say, though, oh, Brad, you're such a great dad, such a great dad. And I said, no, I, you know, I appreciate that. But I said, I, I actually think I was a better praiser than a parent, meaning that mm. I didn't, you know, a lot of times parents want to go around and school their kids all day. Well, if I was you, son, this is what I would do. You know, I always have this great advice for the kid. That wasn't me. I praised him on everything. So, you know, so a couple of things. Well, one is my kids thought I was deaf. And the reason I thought I was deaf is because I would have my, I would do my coaching calls so loud in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have my TV that I'm watching a Tony Robbins training or, you know, somebody and I have it turned up super loud. <laughs> like, okay, dad's clearly deaf. It was, uh, I just didn't want to go training my kids. I'll let someone else do it. <laughs> you know? So I didn't want to, you know, say, son, you need to read this book and you need to listen to this and watch that. I just talked super loud to my coaching clients, would walk them, pace around my house. And, you know, uh, so I wasn't usually behind closed doors. Um, and uh, so I, I think it, I think that really for me, it was, it was really just praising my kids that they're just, you know, and showing them that he could do really, really great things, but without being the know-it-all, because I, I, I was just a kid that boarded a Greyhound bus with, you know, they knew dad didn't go to college. They knew that, mm -hmm. you know, I, that wasn't my place. But, you know, you mentioned uh, my oldest son is uh, going to be 25 in September. He's uh, graduated high school with a 4.5 uh, GPA, wow. uh, got a quarter million dollar scholarship, uh, went to Budapest uh, for math. Uh, he's now working as a professor and uh, working on his master's for math in Montana and an Eagle Scout. So for those that know any, you know, scouting, he's Eagle Scouts, top ranking. Uh, and then my son, Grant, my son, Grant, is, I love him so much. And he, he's 21, a big kid, big 6'10 kid. And he played basketball for years. 
But he did say he did. We, him and I went and had breakfast and he said, Dad, he goes, Mom's mom. I think mom's been living vicariously through me. And because mom's dad was a basketball coach and mom's dad passed away uh, in 1997. So having a 6'10 kid, boom, let's get him in basketball. But it wasn't his passion. So he takes up golf. And so he's been playing golf now for two years as of July. So he pulls me to the side at the driving range and he said, Dad, I've got one of your jeans. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, I've got the gene of dreaming big. Oh, that's a good gene. I heard that and I was like, well, damn, nice. (laughs) He said, my goal is to be on the PGA Tour by the time I'm 25. And he just started golf two years ago in July. And his dream is to be on the PGA Tour by the time he's 25. That's awesome. Which, you know, I'm like. I never take that away from him. I'm like, I'm the guy. It's like, dude, you, you know, Tiger Woods. I know he thinks he's good, but you're so much better. You know? <laughs> like, just stay on the course, bro. You're doing amazing. And and then I've uh, my daughter Gannon. She's just amazing, and she's 17. But all the kids did so well, and you know, Grant graduated high school with a 4.3 full ride. All this, and you know, give him lots of accolades. But you know, I think from parenting, it's just. Sometimes it's just not about parenting so much. Like, you know, you and I, we probably had, you know, parents, right? And they, you know, wanted to give you fatherly advice, motherly advice. And, you know, if I was you, I would do this. And I was just never my angle. Oh, interesting. It wasn't my angle. I just have let my kids. So I'll share with you this last uh, story on this. But uh, so I like to go to church. It's one of the things I do. And. So somebody had asked me, they said, well, do you, do you, do you bring your kids to church? And so I, cause some people get very righteous, right? So they go, gotta go to church, bring the kids. And you know, everybody's locked into church on Sundays. Now I get it. That's, you know, very Christian of them and what have you, but it was never my style. You know, it was never, let me drag the kids to church and get dressed and rush the house and all that stuff. It was never my style. And so one night I'm at church and we do a thing, well, we used to before COVID, but it's called Revival Night. And so Revival Night started at 7 p.m. and would go until about 1 a.m. And and this particular night, and I go to this big mega church here in Colorado, and it's, we, I love it. Uh, I love the friends and the people, camaraderie and fellowship, and what have you. So my kid. So I'm, I'm going around because uh, we were supposed to pray and you go around the sanctuary and, you know, you're praying for this and family. And but that particular night, I'm praying and praying and praying for my kids, like just really praying that God guides them and directs them and leads them and gives them a good heart. And, and I'm just crying and crying and cry, like profusely crying. So I get home that night about one o'clock and I get a text. Now I'm like. Okay, it's one o'clock, one thirty in the morning. I'm getting a text from my son Grant, and Grant says, "Dad, he said, do you want to go with me tomorrow to get a tattoo?" That was very odd to me, but I didn't question it. Nobody in my family's had tattoos, and so Grant says, "We well, have. Yeah, go with me." And I said, "Yeah, that sounds fun." I didn't ask him what kind of tattoo. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to do any of that. 
So we go to the tattoo place the next morning and the guy goes, uh, so what kind of tattoo would you like? And he lifts up his arms and he goes, I like a tattoo. And it's a, I don't exactly, it's, I believe that it's God's highs are higher than God's lows. And so there it's their peaks. There's one peak and then it comes down and then there's another peak and boom. So that's in his arm. And I was like, well, that's super cool. I never took him to church and he's got the cross hanging. So sometimes I think that, you know, just giving their kids space to do what they need to do without, again, quote, parenting every two seconds. Yeah. Because I believe that many times, you know, the kid goes in the other direction. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I don't have any kids of my own, but uh, my girlfriend is constantly complimenting me on like how well I get along time with her. Time, I do rent mine out. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but my girlfriend will comment on like how well me and her kids get along. Yeah. And when I thought about it one time, I realized part of it is that I'm, I'm not trying to parent them. I'm not trying to just be their friend, but I, I always remember when I was a kid, one of the things that I hated the most was when it felt like adults were talking down to me. Yeah, yeah. So I always try to keep in mind, like, they're just a younger person. I'm just an older person. That's all. They're, they're very smart. They're very personable. They're great with people. They can talk to adults just like they can talk to their own friends. Yep. Uh, and they're older now. I mean, her son's in the Marines and her daughter's a senior in high school. You know, they're not little, little kids. Right, but right. I've, I've always kind of been that way with other people's kids. And as you were describing it, I thought, oh, I guess maybe intuitively I, I just, you know, did that. It sounds like probably for you that was as well. I want to ask you a couple of qu a quick fun questions and, yeah. then, and then wrap up. Yeah. Uh, one of them. So I'm a foodie. Um, back when I first moved to North Carolina, I actually was thinking about starting a foodie website. Uh, it ended up being a want, not a, not a commitment. Uh, so that never happened. But yeah. if I were to come and visit you and we went out to dinner. And you wanted to take me to dinner to some place that was representative of where you live and the type of food that you like. Where would you take me? Where would we go? Probably In and Out Burger. Ooh, cool! <laughs> I've never been. I've actually never been to In and Out Burger. Uh, it's it's amazing. I I love In and Out Burger, but you know it's it's you know I'm I'm not you know I I, I think that for some people you know they they like the environment or the ambiance and i'm just not into like you know my cousin and i uh he had a couple people come into the house and we went to dinner and we went to a simple place the cheesecake factory it was fun but they had just come from a different dinner where they had spent eight hundred dollars for that dinner oh wow yeah, yeah no, i'm not, to that, me, I'm that, not just, that brand of foodie <laughs> I, that just doesn't work for me like i'm not that yeah, you know, I, hawks where I'm gonna go. Yeah, I need the. First of all, I leave usually out of their hunger. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that yeah. with the like the super fancy places tend to give really small portions. Yeah, they're always... tiny portions, and then they put some, you know, whatever the heck they put on the plate. Yeah, a lot it. of focus on the presentation. Yeah, I just bring my own Hershey syrup and I, you know, put it around the plate. And it's <laughs> you know what I find so ironic about that is if you watch any of the shows on Food Network, any of the cooking shows, chefs take giant bites. And yet they end up, 
when they go to these high-end places, creating these little tiny type of meals. Okay, yeah, that's, that, not my, it, not, that's not my style. I'm, I'm too, uh, I'm too quaint. I just like to, you know, I enjoy the conversation with the people. It doesn't need to be, you know, an $800 meal. Like, right. You know, okay. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, that's, that I'm opposed to that. It's just, it's just not yeah. my normal thing. Just not your thing. I'm just a basic, you know, chicken Alfredo, hamburgers, pastas, some, you know, if I want to be healthy, I get Caesar salad or something. But, you know, I'm not too foo-foo when it comes to food. Gotcha. But what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie would be Passion of the Christ. Okay. Cool. That would be my favorite movie. Last question. Well, actually, two last questions. Uh, first one, other than your own, what is your favorite book that you would recommend to people? My favorite book. Or it could be one you would recommend. Either one. You can go however you want with the question. Um, you know, I think that, that um, you know, I think that, I think that, you know, going back to, sometimes it's all about just staying basic, right? Just there's so many things that many times get over encumbered. You know, the information is like, you, know, you have to like Google words and like, what did they say? So I think, I think that, you know, going back to the basics would be, you know, think and grow rich. If I was I to had go. a hunch you were going to say that. I knew you did. <laughs> well, one yeah. of What's my well worn I see the cover. That... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. I mean, it's just, you know, it's so, you know, it's sold a gazillion copies. Yeah. It's hard to debate the information because it's just solid information. You know, I think yeah, that many times people, you know, I think many times it's about, you know, being brilliant at the basics. Yeah. And so I think for many times people, you know, attempt to, you know, they, 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 uh, you know, they just pay attention to things that at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter. But that yeah. book right there is so solid that it's a hard thing. Like I say to, I think if somebody were to get that level of information and really take that in and use it and apply it, then they can do pretty well with their life. My friend, Marty Rodriguez is the number one real estate agent in the world with Century 21. She's 71 years old. Marty and I have been buddies and pals and friends for 30 plus years. She makes sure that she reads that book every single year. Without say that. Always reads that book. I have met a handful of very successful people who have said that, that they do that, that they reread, they can grow yeah. every year. Well, I think it goes back to, you know, the whole, uh, you know, repetition is the mother of skill. Yeah. You know, it's just being and repetitive, being repetitive, being repetitive, doing it again, doing it again. And I think for some people, you know, they do it, you know, they go to the gym once or twice and they go, well, it's not working. <laughs> yeah. I heard, I heard somebody say recently, uh, many times we need to be reminded more than we need to learn something new. Um, um so, okay. 
Okay, so that I, I've got to share with this, and and then we can go and whatever, unless you have more questions. So I I was sharing with you this book. Uh, let me see where it's at. Okay, so uh, in this book, the, my mortgage book, it says on page nine, it says, I'm the reminder guy. I'm just going to close with you, read you this real quick. It says, I'm the reminder guy. As most people just require the minding, the reminding. A couple of years ago, I was coming in from the backyard when I overheard a household conversation that seemed so fitting and perfect. My two boys, Garrett and Grant, were sitting at the breakfast table when Garrett said to Grant, hey, Grant, remember, we're a sharing house. I thought, hey, Grant already knows we're a sharing house. As in our house, we say we're a sharing house and a loving house. Yet it was convenient for Grant to forget the whole sharing thing. Forgetting is more convenient than remembering. Uh, forgetting... Forgetting because it's more convenient than remembering seems to be the story for so many. I thought Grant just needed to be reminded, as being reminded in that moment was key to sharing. I got in that, I got in that moment that the majority of the time, reminding people is what I do best. Very rarely is that, oh my gosh, I've never heard that before. Wow, geez. Most of the things in this book you will have been exposed to at some point in your career. And some will be new for you. Regardless, it's time to be reminded and do. So it's interesting that I wrote a whole thing on what you just mentioned. <laughs> well, that's great. Brett, I don't know if I could top that. So I'm not even going to try. I think that is a great way to wrap up. And uh, where can people find you? What's the easiest way for them to find you? They can go to my, they can go to my website, Brett Figueroa International, uh, brettfigueroainternational.com, and they can see some of my work. They can uh, see the video of Tony Robbins. It's, there's a picture on my website that's fun for people that study this work, and they know the guy by the name of Jim Rohn. Yeah, and so the great. picture I have on my website is the, actually the only picture on the internet with me, Tony Robbins, and Jim Rohn. And so Tony used to work for Jim Rohn when Tony was 17. So Tony was like that Navy SEAL guy who used to travel the country and work for Jim and yada, yada. And so, but it's the only picture of me Tony and Jim Rohn. And it's the only picture that Tony Robbins has with Jim Rohn. Really? It's the only picture that Tony has with Jim Rohn. Now, how do I know that? And how do I know that? Because on the year of Jim's birthday or his death day, the picture Tony always sends out is the picture of me, Tony, and Jim Rohn. And I'm the misfit that's in the middle with my arms around him. Yeah, see this. So it's a great picture, dude. So they can't cut me up. So Tony was doing an event here. I, I don't know. He had 40,000, 50,000 people virtual here. And so I was getting all these text messages because during a part of there, Tony was talking about, you know, who Jim Ronan is and, you know, who his teacher was and yada, yada, giving some, you know, relationship and context around his, his messaging. So then Tony 
puts it and displays it on, you know, the virtual screen. So I get all these pet messages like, Brad, Tony Robbins just shared your picture with him and Jim Rohn. And I said, yeah, because it's the only one he has. <laughs> so, well, you know, you know that's, it's the only one he has. And I'm the guy that's in the middle with my big ass arms around their big, you know. <laughs> so for those of you who this is the first time you've been exposed to Brett, that, that this is your, your first time experiencing Brett Figueroa. That picture he's talking about, you, Jim Rohn, and Tony Robbins, for you self-improvement freaks out there, that is like the Mount Rushmore. Oh, yeah, it's iconic. Self-improvement, right? Yeah. So get, get to his website, consume more of his stuff. Brett, I cannot thank you enough for being so generous with your time. I can reach me anytime too. You know, you can text me. I'm I'm more than happy to give out my number, 720-672-5783. Who does that? Feel free to text me, call me. I'm always, if I can't answer, I'll respond. Awesome. Awesome. Dude, thank you very much for your time. I would love to do this again one day down the road. Like I said, I could talk to you and pick your brain for hours, but I want to respect your time. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up and we will see you guys next time.